following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Just the Hawkman in general, a less homoerotic 300. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at Minute 20 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you today? Shh, if we aren't too loud, the psycho flying death orb might just leave us alone. Might, it might, but uh, who will not leave us alone because we're so lucky to have her back with us is Crystal Beth. Crystal Beth, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Happy to be here again. It's, uh, it's, it's been an amazingly fun week, and uh, I, I knew it was going to be, uh, and I'm so glad that Flash Gordon Minute has the Crystal Beth stamp of approval because uh, it's, it's not really minute by minute until you're there. Oh. Thank you so much for, for joining us. It's just so much fun doing them. As, as, as someone who I, I'm new to the Movies by Minute world, and so I, this has always fascinated me. What is, what is the, uh, the impetus to your, in, you know, your serious involvement? How you, It is actually a requirement when you do a Movie by Minute podcast to invite you to be on the show. Uh, oh, my gosh. I don't know. Uh, I know which three podcast or four were my first four well five i guess i could round out five because uh i was on the star wars minute and that was so much fun and i started at return of the jedi with them and then i was on uh the next person asked me was scott corelli for back to the future minute then i can't remember if it was alien minute or indiana jones minute that asked next i think it was alien minute then indiana jones minute then uh ghostbusters minute with the brothers crane and those were my first five, and I became also members of their Facebook groups. So I think it was Justin. Oh my gosh, I can't remember his last name, but that's okay. I shouldn't say his last name online anyway. A guy named Justin mentioned, like, messaged me and was like, "Hey, by the way, people are talking about you over on the Star Wars Minute Listener Society. You should go over and say hi." And I was like, "Okay." So I became a part of the Listener Society, and then all those people started doing movies by minutes, and I think that that pulled me in. And then Pete mentioned it on Twitter once. And I don't, honestly, I don't expect people to ask me. And I never ask to do people's show because I don't want them to feel like they have to. It seems like one of these things that sort of just picked up its own momentum. We joke around it. I joke around it all the time. It's like, oh, well, you know, when are you going to have Crystal Bath on? Because, it, but it's also a thing where you're a great guest. You're funny. You're smart. Right. You watch these movies and you love movies and that really shows. So um, you bring a lot to it. And we've been lucky where we've had fantastic guests on this show. Uh, We're pretty picky. And we go after the people that we think can really add to it and people that show an interest. But I've heard plenty of minute by minutes that don't have great guests. Although I think that's often the fault of hosts that aren't fantastic and, and not hosts that don't know how to deal with guests. Yeah, sometimes because there's, you know, there's every host is different and some hosts are quieter listener, you know, they analyze movies and they really go into them. And it's like that is so awesome and fascinating. And sometimes they'll get a guest. And I've also been guilty of it where guesting, I get so excited that I start talking so much that I'm like, oh, my God, I just stole their show. So I actually I caught myself doing that a few times. So I always I mentioned this in Chicago at the Movies by Minutes meetup that I try to listen to everyone's show for at least a week, 
hopefully two, so that I can learn their flow and not steamroll them because I talk a lot. And I often talk a lot about literally nothing. (laughs) So I always have to watch myself and sometimes I get excited and I start stuttering. So I honestly, I don't know why anyone ever asks me and I don't know how I haven't run out of things to talk about yet. It's weird. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you've also hosted uh, a Fifth Element, and so you understand the value of if somebody can just provide good content, and if they talk too much, you can edit stuff out real quick. Right, and they don't notice. And I would rather have too much than too little. Yes. Well, although, honestly, we don't leave anything on the floor. I, I was like, eh, they're just going to throw it out there. And in we have enough fun, and I think that is infectious that I don't worry about it too much. But uh, yeah, I'd rather have too much and too little. Somebody who you have to drag uh, every word out of them. And, uh, that is not your problem, Crystal Beth. No, it's not. I wish it was a little more my problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric. So uh, this is our last day with our wonderful guest. Uh, why don't you walk us through this minute? Yeah, well, this, this minute starts off with a bang because the psycho death orb does not screw around. It gives the lizard man about two seconds between telling him to surrender and disintegrating him. He didn't even wait for an answer. He basically was telling him, I'm going to kill you, and didn't even, you know, let him even try to escape. It's like the uh, Ed Robot in uh, RoboCop. It's like, uh, put your weapon down. It's like, now I'm going to shoot you anyway. <laughs> yeah. And the li- and the lizard man, he's already fading away, and then you hear him scream. And I, I just wondered the biology of that. It's another moment of I can't figure out if this is a cheap B-movie or an expensive big-budget film because uh, the, the laser melting people or, I don't know, phasing them out of existence thing, it, it is not a uh, high-dollar special effect for him to look at it. And uh, while this is going on while you're around all the amazing costumes, and one thing I like about the scene, and you really see it where it's not just... There's a thing that happens in science fiction, and I've heard comedians uh, joke about it, where you have science fiction movies where, in the future, everyone's just wearing white lycra. (laughs) And in this movie, it's like, no, they have very distinct societies and different cast systems and different groupings of costumes and all very all very eye-catching and impressive and i like that that it's you see the divisions between the people and it's going to come up in the next few minutes where you see some of these groups just despise each other and the only thing they despise more than each other is they really hate ming so it's like the costuming is just no expense was spared but the laser effects look like something that pretty sure my uh, middle school art teacher was able to put together. <laughs> well, at least they actually had an attempt at, you know, a lizard man in the in the the DVD has a special feature where they have the the first episode of the first the Buster Crab serial from back in the 40s or 50s or whatever and there's an actual lizard they just superimposed in the <laughs> shot. So it looks like it's a gigantic lizard trying to eat Dale and Flash, but it's just like an iguana oh walking around. Oh my gosh! So at, at least we, you know, at least we moved on from that. Oh, you know? that's so funny. With great shoulder acting. Hey, I, I love that stuff uh, when it's like we're just going to put the lizard in front of the camera real close and it'll be scary. There is an, an amazing movie, Night of the 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 Lepus, uh, a 1972 quote unquote horror movie where uh, they're running from these giant monstrous rabbits. And if you ever have a chance, watch the trailer because it's just, oh, run, run. And they run away. And then there's like just little bunnies hopping by. <laughs> I was like, what? Why, why, why are we running from the most adorable animal ever? It's a, it's a big rabbit. It's just more to love. <laughs> I don't know. Anything small made big is terrifying to me. That's fair. That's fair. But still, rabbits really, that's the first choice you had. Yeah. Well, uh, well yeah, listen, Monty Python, Holy Grail. That's a deadly rabbit. Some real death. 
True story. My wife has, uh, I don't think she has them anymore. She had a pair of Spamalot Vicious Rabbit Night Slippers. Really? Yeah, we saw Spamalot. That's awesome. Actually, we saw Spamalot on Broadway, and they were selling the slippers in the uh, gift place. And my wife's like, I need to have those bunny slippers. Is like, of course you do. So she walked around with those for a while, and she would just keep attacking me with them. That's awesome. That's my wife. All right, now hold on. Now, last, you know, in yesterday's show, we found this incredible connection here between you and Beth involving a play. Now, I saw with my wife Spamalot on Broadway, too. Where we maybe, you know, was I sitting in your lap or something maybe and we didn't realize it? I don't know. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Yeah. Maybe you guys were making out and Brad's pants were off. <laughs> well, how else do you see a show on Broadway? That, that's that's exactly, that's where I got the idea from. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So everything is tying together. All right. Let's stick, let's stick with the flying, with the flying orb, the death orb here. So it not only disintegrates the lizard man, it disintegrates Zarkov's gun, but... It doesn't disintegrate the pocket that the gun is in. I, I, I watched those few seconds like over and over again to see exactly what was going on because it just something really weird happens when it's zapping him. It it looks like the outer pocket, the outer like the flap turns invisible. The gun disappears. You see the inside of the pocket. And then after the gun disappears, the outer part of the pocket reappears. And I think it's just maybe they just couldn't quite get the effect shot the way they wanted it, but in theory, it should have evaporated his pocket, not just the gun. I, 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 what do you think there, right? Well, I mean, this is space magic. If I'm going to rationalize it, we don't know space. <laughs> there was some sort of weird x-ray to zapping to... The thing that actually struck me even more about that ridiculousness was I actually was with Zarkov in this moment where he's his plan is, is like, well, hey, if everything else goes wrong... I'll just shoot him, which, by the way, not a fantastic <laughs> plan because it seems like these are guys that would have bodyguards. And he's got that dinky gun. He's just got that, that dinky little gun. <laughs> and, and also him saying, he's like, don't worry. I'll let him know that you had nothing to do with it. He's like, I don't think they're going to believe you. <laughs> but uh, but at least he's like, you know, I'll sacrifice myself. One for billions. It's like, and I like characters who have that uh, ability to, when they're not particularly courageous. And Zarkov can't be courageous. But th- that would take away from Flash. Like, yeah. Flash has to be the brave one. So Zarkov, to do this, I like that character who sort of is like, he's not being brave, he's not being honorable, he's not being heroic. He's just like, listen, if I don't do this, a billion people are going to die, so it makes sense for me to die, sacrificing my father. It's like, oh, okay, I'm with you. That makes sense. And, and I like the people who, uh, I find cowardly characters who uh, rationalize away their cowardice uh, intriguing. I always like that scene because of that it, it sort of gave me a window into Zarkov where he is a scientist through and through where he's actually doing the math on sacrificing his life yeah although it is interesting that he thinks that you know he, he still ha- doesn't know who's in charge and it's interesting he thinks that whoever he thinks he is going to shoot with the gun <laughs> will automatically stop the attack on earth like oh Ming's dead all right everyone call off the attack that's it no more it's a uh, very return of the Jedi's like uh, I, I've seen I think other uh, family guy or a robot chicken did a bit where they show the scene right after the second death star gets blown up and the other ships are like okay well next wave of attacks like no no we're done it's like what do you mean it's like well they blew up the death star. we're done it's like <laughs> we're just gonna surrender so they're still like a, it's like no we're done it's like oh oh okay <laughs> but apparently that's what they think happens it's like yeah just shoot him and yeah, it'll be it. It's like, the entire planet will then kneel to me, or kneel to the planet Earth. Hey, I mean, we don't know space. That's what it could be like. It could be like whoever kills the leader is now the master. It could be. That might be the rules. It could be like pirate rules. Again, I'm rationalizing, which takes the fun out of it. 
they're they're in this hallway. They have all the different groups. Um, as I said before, they have all the 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 great costumes, and we get to see the Hawkmen for the first time. Yes. Yes, the Hawkmen walk in. Which of the Hawkmen, or did any of them? really pop out at you guys because i'm curious to see if the same hawkman that that i focus in on was a, a center of attention for you oh, i always wonder this yeah well the, the yeah the two guys who, who are in the lead their characters are biro and luro and they're they're kind of the two hawkmen other than voltan that that you know have some kind of prominence in the movie biro and what was the other one biro and luro l l u r o biro's the older one biro's the one that i notice Yes, and that is the one I noticed, too. That nose, bro. That nose! Uh, that is what I have heard referred to as a Roman nose, because it's Roman all over his face. Ha, yes, that's funny. I used to play a lot of rugby, and I there was not many noses like that, but definitely some. Damn, who the hell set that nose? Did he break it, or... Oh, yeah, it's been broken several times. Yeah, I don't know. If, I mean, because it's so crooked, I wonder. I'm like, did it, did it start like that? or? I just got to imagine it was, it's was. it been broken several times. I, do we know anything about the actor who played, uh, I guess it's uh, Ted Carroll? Yeah, Ted Carroll. I looked him up. I mean, he, he wasn't in anything else I had ever seen, so I didn't bother writing anything down. But, uh, you know, he was a character actor who had been in a bunch of stuff throughout his career. Yeah, I, uh, I went to his um, Wikipedia and... He was an Irish hurler, so he used to do hurling. Okay. I guess you you throw balls real good or something. I've well, maybe he got clonked in the nose with one of them. Yeah, I, I don't know. He's his face, his nose is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, one of my rugby coaches had a really crooked one, but that's crazy. It's an amazing face, and also he looks God. God bless him. He looks much older than a guy who's in the shape he's in should be. Because from the, the neck up, looks like a really old man with a just a completely jacked nose. Uh, from, next, from the neck down, good shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, seriously. Just the Hawkman in general, a less homoerotic 300. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, just says a whole lot because this scene is pretty homoerotic, but 300, it's... What was the, the, com- the comedian? Um, the, the woman comedian who was involved with uh, Jimmy Kimmel for a long period of time. Uh, Sarah Silverman. Oh, right. I remember her once saying, uh, talking about the movie 300, she said, uh, 300, the title ref- is reference to how gay this movie is on a scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> All the guys are in good shape, but I was like, hey, hey good for him. He, he might be a guy who should uh, go around the beach with a bag over his head because uh, looking pretty good in his, uh, his Speedos there. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> We have a, a lot of the Mongori here that we're seeing for the first time. We see the midget people who will pop up again in the future minutes. We see the slave girls who play a pretty big part later on in the movie. Uh, we get a glimpse of the Ardentians who in a few minutes have an unfortunate minute. Uh, and we have what I like to call the black and white cookie people with like this elaborate headgear. Clearly someone in... Uh, the costuming was like, all right, we need some real wacky space people. Uh, put this on, this on, and that on, and uh, half of you white, half of you black. All right, get out there. Yeah, and they, I think that that is closer to any other uh, futuristic thing that we see now than any other stuff. They, they, the black and white cookie people are definitely the sort of stereotypical future sci-fi extras that you see yeah. in the background. We're not too focused. I, I mean, we've seen everyone. They haven't done too much focusing on some of the groups. Uh, the thing that really surprises me now is the slave girl outfits. Jeez, those are really 
sexy, daring costumes. It's like, all right, how close can we get to showing everyone's vagina? Yeah. <laughs> the costumes are really sheer. They have um, really have these poor women really exposed. It's pretty salacious. Uh, and uh, not too long ago, I was uh, talking with uh, artist Jason Lennox, and he was saying – and he was talking about the slave girls and uh, the actress who played Aura, who was – and to him, he's like, you know, just imagine being 12 years old. And this is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life and seeing it on the movie. is like this this movie has had a lot of effect on young men uh, growing up because of just how just really sort of, I guess, scandalous you could say these costumes are. And how be- and um, the casting director has an eye for beautiful women because uh, they're, they're all just – stunning women and it's sort of hard to believe they got away with uh, those outfits because they're they don't leave a whole lot to the imagination well you know in, in 1980 you know pg movies showed, showed a lot more than this back in because there was no pg-13 yet and you you could you could get away with some more stuff in a pg movie back then than you can now yeah it's very true i'm wondering if ratings are going to change soon how do you mean because there's people are so much more loose with what they're filming and like what's bad and what's good and how there are some swears that don't mean as much now. And then seeing, uh, you know, boobs don't mean what it meant a couple years ago. And if it's going to, they're going to be like, well, now we need to think of something else where it's like, maybe there's PG eight, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. Just where you can, cause I feel like more and more recently they've been having problems with what to rate movies. Cause you used to see you, this film's not yet rated a little bit, but I feel like I see that way more often now. Yeah, there seems to be a lot more battles of people submitting the art, the the first version that ends up being R-rated, and then it becomes such a point of pride. Where uh, what was it, Batman versus Superman? It came out in theaters and it was PG-13, but then as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, there was the R-rated version, and then yeah, from what I understand, it was really disappointing. It was just. A little extra profanity and a little extra violence, but it wasn't like it wasn't like oh, there's the five minute sequence that I can tell that's why it was R rated. It's like oh, it's just a, a little bit of nothing. Yeah, I mean, but it seems like now it, you know for whatever reason it's the the nudity or the sex or the language gets you an R, but you know you can kill nine trillion people and and you'll still get a PG thirteen. But God forbid you see some nipples. They don't seem to have a problem with violence, you know? Well, well think of the children. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> was it, I guess, well, as we're recording this, I guess it was last year X-Men Apocalypse came out, and I took my then seven-year-old to see it because he loves the X-Men movies. That was PG-13, like pretty much every comic book movie is, with a few R's mixed in there. Even I, well, throughout the movie, was thinking, this is a hard PG-13. I mean, X-Men Apocalypse, I thought, was, was for an X-Men movie. Uh, well, this was before I saw Logan. Was was you know incredibly violent, and I was like you know, but yeah, if if there had been one set of bare breasts, it would have been an R. I remember growing up, and it, it would just first off, there were a lot more comedies back then, and now the movie industry has changed where you don't really see comedy comedies like you used to. Yeah. Now comedies seem to be there, like an action movie where the, the Rock makes a couple jokes throughout, like Jumanji or his Baywatch movie, where it's like, I guess it's a comedy, but it's still an action movie, I guess, to help with the international appeal. But I just remember before you would watch a comedy, and just every now and then, for some reason, the punchline would be is like, there's a topless girl. <laughs> <laughs> And the movie would be PG. Yeah. So it would be a PG movie. Yeah. So crazy. And you, you can't make, I always think of like a Blazing Saddles or something like that. There's movies where I'm just like, this could not be made now. Oh God, no. I remember, what was it? The the airplane movies? Yeah. 
there'd be one scene where the main character, he's drawing a ball of fruit and then he's catching a ball of fruit and then he's like, oh, I guess I, I can stop now. And then he turns to the model and it's just a topless woman. I was like, okay, that joke doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah. And I think in the second movie, they're all panicking. They're all panicking on the, the in the second one, it was like on a space shuttle. They're all panicking. And then just a topless woman runs in front of the camera, shakes a little bit, and then runs off. It's like, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what the hell's going on. It's like, they, and again, a PG movie, and you would not be able to do that today. No, not at all. That would be double rated R. Yeah, you're right. The, the 80s were an era where it, it's funny because we don't think of it as like a particularly sexy era or, you know, you, you think it's like, oh, they wouldn't show that much and blah, blah, blah. But no, they, they, they would actually push the limits on that because there was no PG-13, so they wouldn't even bother. And Flash Gordon certainly does not deserve an R rating. No. Oh, no way. The the action's sort of fun and campy. It's really, in a lot of ways, a half step off from, you know, the, as we've talked about, sort of a spiritual grandfather to this, uh, the, the, the old Batman TV show. Um, the, the action really does sort of follow that line. There's some weirdly tense, creepy stuff, but it's in pretty small dosage. And, you know, there, there, there's no, there certainly is no profanity. Yeah, it's just campy creepy. Right, right, right. After hearing his voice a few times and after and, and and seeing his hands, we finally get Clytus's face shown for a couple of seconds there. It's shown during a great note in the song. The, the song suddenly gets louder and deeper when we show him. Uh, and so finally, <laughs> my man appears on the screen. On the screen, I've talked before, Crystal Beth, about how much I love Clytus. We finally get. I'm glad I was here for it. Clytus is uh, <laughs> performed by the excellent and recently departed Peter uh, Wingard. And man, it just shows you how far a cool voice can get you. Because it's not like it's a great costume. It's not one that really allows any sort of emoting. But uh, his voice is so cool, and just sort of the way he carries himself, he's able to get a lot without facial expressions. Uh, Chris, what about you? What, did you have any notes from this minute? I, I didn't. I actually said everything I wanted to say. The costumes are wonderful. I actually didn't say that, but I was thinking it. And it's. I think this is a, a great part of that. I, I love a great costume. It's something you usually get better in plays. And I, I remember uh, seeing, and that's usually something that community theater, and uh, I've being in Baltimore, I, I would definitely see a lot more community theater than professional theater i mean that's something the community theater really misses you can get really good performances you can get uh, everything else can be great in community theater but they never have the budget for good costumes it's always hey check your closet and see if you have anything cool but it's something that i really appreciate from that i i feel like costumes tend to be sort of bland in movies where it's just trying to make it functional until you get like a great period drama uh and then you know, all of a sudden they put the money into it. Right. This was a movie where they really, and like I said, I love the fact that they're, they definitely segmented the societies around them. So it wasn't just everyone having the same sort of bland beige bodysuit look. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, you, you guys seen the movie Argo? Been a little while, been a little while, but yeah. No. Early on in the movie, they are doing a table read for the, the fake movie that they say they're going to be making to, as, as the cover for them uh, to go overseas. It is clearly meant to be Flash Gordon. If you watch that scene again, the the, the 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 actors in that scene are all wearing costumes that are clearly supposed to be from this movie. Flash Gordon, it, it, Flash Gordon, it, it's uh, its reach is uh, decades long because uh, you know we we've talked over the previous weeks. You can still see the influence on just this past year. Uh, Thor Ragnarok uh, was had some very very Flash Gordon e scenes and uh, Argo and. It's, it seems like a movie that's took an extra gen- it took a generation for everyone to really appreciate it. Now with uh, also 
Sam Jones cameo in the Ted movies. And uh, it, it feels like uh, people are coming back around to it. But uh, I, I forgot about that. That uh, Yeah, Argo was – it was a very – it was Flash Gordon. Oh, I have to watch that. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing that's hard about doing all these podcasts is – I keep finding out more and more movies that I need to watch. Oh, the irony. You're talking so much about movies. You have no time to watch movies. A couple of things related to sound. I, I love the sound effects as the as the Hawkmen are walking down the steps. We hear, like, costumes and, and metal clanking and jingling and, and footsteps coming down the steps. I think it's just a really nice uh, Foley work uh, in those few seconds there. Yeah, it makes great sense because the Hawkmen are guys who you should feel and hear and sense their presence. These aren't these guys should be loud, and, and, and we haven't even seen Prince Volton yet. That just gives you an idea how awesome Brian Blessed is, where these guys are already eye-catching enough, and then you have somebody who overpowers them with his just being a bearded badass. Yeah, that in those thighs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crack a walnut I, you know what i think walnuts just crack in fear of being around brian blessed <laughs> uh yeah so there's some great foley work so many things of this movie are done so well that you give a lot of benefit of the doubt to the things that look cheesy or campy it's like no this was intentional because everything else is so damn good that i can't believe the other stuff is bad by accident yeah it all works together really well I mean, like we said, it's like a perfect way to bookend. The Clash makes the Flash. Your, your, your greatest hits, The Clash <laughs> makes the Flash. As I knew it was going to be, it's been a fantastic week. One last time, Crystal Beth, uh, where can people find out more about you? Sure, you can follow me on social media at The Crystal Beth, and you can log on to iTunes to listen to my podcasts, The Unlimited Lives Radio or uh, The Fifth Element, and go to moviesbyminutes.com, and you can you know, literally pick a podcast, and I may or may not have done it. 50-50 chance. Yeah, and uh, every podcast gets better when Crystal Beth is on, and uh, you've been wonderful with us this week. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Yes, thank you. So, uh, Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Well, you can come chat with us on Facebook. We've got our fan page, of the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Minute at gmail.com if you want us. Email us the old-fashioned way and avoid social media. Or we also are on Twitter at FlashGordonPod. Yeah, we, we, we love people to, to follow us. And, hey, come on, shoot us a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, the more reviews we get, uh, it increases our visibility. Also, while you're there, uh, you know, shoot a review over to uh, uh, the wonderful podcast that Crystal Beth has been involved with. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just a little bit of your time. Crystal Beth, again, we want to thank you so much for being on. It's always fun. You've been on the Cosmic Geppetto podcast uh, once. We want to get you back on that because it's fun to have you on something where you're not talking specifically about a movie. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. And I love being on every time. It's Let's do it again. We'll definitely do that again. Uh, and Eric, as always, this has been another fun week. And uh, Chris, with Eric is the one who uh, really put this in motion. He wanted to do this podcast, and uh, we we joined him. And uh, uh, I, you know, I, I've been uh, on air with him, and we have Jarf behind the scenes, uh, sort of working our social media and also helping wrangle up guests and interviews. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, Eric, thank you so much again. Oh no. Sure. Thank you for, for coming along with me on the rocket ship. Yeah, that's awesome. I love this. It brings people together. Yeah. It does. So that's a great thing. However, not everything's great, Eric. Oh. And uh, I, I, I have uh, something that's sort of weighing upon my soul. Huh. 
I've, I've been in the podcasting game uh, with starting with Cosmic Geppetto and then with our spinoff shows, uh, Minute of Darkness and Flash Gordon Minute for two years now. I've been doing this for over two years. And my worry is like, no matter how long I do this and how many uh, podcasts we guest on and other Minute by Minutes that we guest on, I'm never going to be on as many podcasts or be as awesome as Crystal Beth. No. <laughs> well, if you're feeling a significant inferior inferiority complex, like most of us will when compared to the amazing Crystal Beth, Stop it. I wouldn't worry about it because Flash will save every one of us. Join us next week as we meet more fantastic Mongorians, including Ming himself. And Brad and Eric welcome our special guest, Niall McGowan from Bat Minute 89. Only here on Flash Gordon Minute. You take my hand